Welcome to the College Sports Insider, presented by the NCAA and Champion Magazine. I'm Jack Ford. So, it's the off-season for college football, but that doesn't mean there's not a lot of conversation going on around con- college football. And one of the areas that generates a, a great deal of discussion and probably more importantly, debate, the question of rules. Perhaps as much debate and discussion about rules on the field as there is about rankings of the teams on the field. And we're delighted to have with us today Ray Anderson. Uh, Ray, longtime career in the sports world, currently vice president at University Athletics, the athletic director at Arizona State University, and a good friend. Always glad to spend a little bit of time pleasure, with Ray. Pleasure, Jack. Always a pleasure. How you doing, man? I am good, thank you. So, you were here in Indianapolis. The NCAA's Football Oversight Committee is having its meeting. And you're looking at some of the rules that have been implemented, some of them fairly recently. Uh, I wanted to get a sense from you, and I'll get to some of the topics in a minute, but just so people understand where rules come from. You know, sometimes there's these misperceptions mm-hmm. that there's somebody in an office someplace and says, okay, I think starting next year, I want this rule to be in play. How is it that for college football, either a new rule is implemented or a revision is made of some rule that's already in place? Yeah. Well, it's a pretty exhaustive process. Uh, uh, the competition committee uh, works jointly with the rules committee. Uh, and then that, those two committees working collaboratively will come up with recommendations with regard to either new rules or changes. And then in terms of football, they will then take them to the football oversight committee, which is kind of the uh, the the umbrella, if you will. So uh, we're here in Indy this week with the Rules Committee and the Competition Committee uh, going over various things. And the way the playing rules work is there's typically a two-year cycle so that, for instance, targeting is a big uh, uh, subject matter. Uh, and so the two groups are talking about the targeting uh, rule, some of the nuances of it, some of the things that apparently are working, some of the things that aren't working, uh, including uh, uh, evaluation of how the replay process should yeah. play into targeting. So we will go through a lot of discussion, including a lot of videotape study, mm-hmm. uh, seeing the various plays that were called, and then uh, try to come up with what we th- think are recommendations that will either tweak the rule uh, or, in some cases, even change a rule. And we're going through that process now. What happens to these recommendations after you come up with them at the conclusion of these couple of days that you're spending? Well, we will then put them into a set of recommendations, and then to the extent that there is a feeling that we need to either tweak a rule, uh, make a new rule, uh, eliminate a rule, we will come up with a set of recommendations and then take it to the football oversight committee where there will ultimately be uh, a vote. But it has to be uh, in the right cycle, and usually that's a two-year cycle. So, for instance, if you had a rule that was just uh, implemented last year, you would have to wait another year because you want some time to see if the changes you've recently made are actually effective on the field and in terms of how they're administered. So uh, it's a not a perfect process, 
but there is a process. It's not one or it's two. It's a deliberative process. Yes, it's, it's not, not one a guy or, in a corner room someplace no, saying no, this it's, is it's, this it's not is the way one it's or two work. different supervisors yeah. for different conferences sitting right. up determining what will be the rules that govern college. And, and I suspect I know a number of your members. I have great respect for them, but I also know that they have you know they're contemplative people. Uh, they have have very strong ideas and beliefs about the game and how it should be played out. I would suspect that some of these sessions where you're talking about either new rules or changing rules would have some some um, pretty intense conversations. There is no question about it. The conversation is robust. And, you know, you have different folks who have come along at different periods of time. So there are different uh, uh, opinions shared. Uh, and that's what's good about the process is there are no... Uh, shy folks on either of <laughs> not the, that committee, not I, on the competition <laughs> committee, nor on the rules committee, uh, and some folks have uh, very strong convictions. Some folks are uh, officials, some are athletic directors, some are former coaches, some are conference commissioners. So uh, you have different perspectives, uh, but that makes the process and the discussion very robust, very healthy. Uh, but no, there, uh, no one uh, has ever been in that room and suspected that everybody is singing from the same hymn, uh, that everybody agrees with everything. It's really good, robust conversation. You mentioned targeting, the issue of targeting. Let me talk a little bit about some of the things that you might be considering with regard to the targeting rule. I guess the first question is, are you getting a sense from the various constituencies that the general rule, the, the reason for the rule, the notion of protecting players, that generally the rule is, is, is being accepted and, and, and in a sense welcomed? I don't think there's any question that people understand the purpose of the rule is player health and safety, uh, to take those hits in the head or neck area, uh, particularly when you have defenseless players being involved, uh, as far out of the game to change the behavior uh, of folks whereby you're not intentionally lowering that head, you're not trying to make that you know that kill shot, as some of the, the old football folks would would, would say. Uh, and so, yes, I think the purpose of the rule uh, is not debated. It's how do you enforce the rules? Uh, how do you discipline for violations of the rules? Uh, how do you make sure that you have consistency in identifying and enforcing the rules? Those are the things that we're struggling with uh, and we think making some progress. But uh, the targeting rule has made, we believe, the game better because it's changed behavior and most importantly, uh, it's protecting players. I think it's interesting that as a, as a former player and, and somebody who watches and even calls some games uh, for ESPN, I, I've noticed over the last couple of years that there has been a change. And it's, you know, it, it, when you, back when you and I were playing, it was pretty much shoulders and wrapping. Then mm -hmm. there was a period of time where the notion was, as you said, the kill shot, knock the guy out, you know, launching through the air. Uh, what I noticed, especially last season, is you saw hits about to occur and the shoulder got dropped. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think three or four years ago, you would have seen the lead with the head. So it, it seems to me as an observer, a you know, passionate observer and believer in the game, that the, the, the change is taking place in the players' minds. Again, do you get that sense too? I, I absolutely agree with that. And as we go through our video uh, study of various plays, you see that behavior occurring. Uh, and so... Uh, you're not uh, wrapping up and, and, and breaking down in the old way, the way maybe you and I play, uh, but with the emphasis on not 
delivering head and, head, uh, and neck area blows. While they may not be wrapping up, they are going lower. You see them starting to turn more, mm-hmm. understanding that uh, the, the ramifications, both for your health and safety of not just the person getting hit, but the person delivering the blow, uh, as well as the negative impact on your ability to continue to play because you're going to be ejected from the game. It's had a change in behavior because players want to play and coaches want players on the field. Uh, and so there has been a change, but not enough. And that's what we're continuing to to try to push because in my view, uh, Jack, there's no more important rule that any of us are going to be working on uh, in our time here in the NCAA than this targeting uh, because that head and neck area against a defensive player uh, uh, occurrence on the field, uh, it's dangerous, and, and we've got to get it hopefully at some point almost completely out of the game. Don't know if we're ever going to perfect uh, and eliminate it completely, but we certainly have to aspire to get it as mitigated as possible. And you make a good point that a lot of people miss, and that's the notion of the protection of, and the safety of the person who's delivering the blow. A lot of times people think, well, you're kind of protecting, you know, the guys who are the defenseless, the receivers, the running back, whatever they might be. But it's not just designed to protect them. No question. Part of the you you don't want the the person delivering the blow to lower that helmet, get that crown of the helmet out. And now uh, they're as exposed as the person receiving the blow. Uh, and so it's for both players' uh, safety that this is so critically important. But, lo- yes, a lot of folks sometimes forget that the person delivering the blow could sometimes be in as clear danger as the receiver under certain circumstances. One of the aspects of the rule that, that I, I know people have talked about, I suspect you're talking about too, is, is the idea of the officials, they make the call on the field and then they review it. And the question now, I, I've heard people say, well, okay, what should be the standard of review there? Mm-hmm. You know, should we change it from either, yes, the, 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 uh, the call's confirmed or the call's reversed or the call stands, which is sort of the in-between mm-hmm. area, the gray area, if you would. What are you talking about in terms of, of perhaps some changes with regard to that? Yes, uh, and you hit it right on the head. Uh, 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 confirmed, overruled, overturned, or stand, uh, which you also uh, really uh, uh, highlighted, uh, e- even if you didn't mean to, is how difficult it is for an official on the field in real time to be able real to— Real time is the, is the key. In real time to be able to make the call, uh, and that's a tough one. Uh, it is equally difficult because different people see it from different perspectives. When you're replaying it to determine confirmed, overturned, or stand, uh, and there's a lot of confusion. And so part of what we're talking about is how do we take some of the confusion out of it? Do you potentially go to a replay uh, review process where, look, it's either confirmed or it's overruled? Uh, stand. So take the sort of uncertainty <laughs> yeah, out of it. Yeah, take the uncertainty out of it, particularly when you have uh, ejections tied to some of Because they're consequences. Because they're real significant We're so in college than in pros. That's correct. I mean, because it's instant right. uh, removal uh, in the college game if you are uh, found to have targeted. Uh, 
Whereas in the pros, unless it's really egregious, you're not going to get ejected, at least from that game. And uh, so the real immediate consequences. So there's a lot of discussion about do we tweak all of this because it's not perfect. Uh, but what we do know is we're not going back away from the purpose, which is to protect player health and safety. We cannot do anything that is a drawback from that purpose uh, to make the calls for the on-field officials or the replay officials a little easier to make. We're not going to do that if it does anything to pull back right. on the health and safety uh, intent of the rules. And that's currently under discussion? That, Absolutely. That notion? I, I had seen that the American Football Coaches Association had, had come out with some suggestions. And the first thing they said is they embraced the rule absolutely uh, unreservedly embrace the rule for the reasons that you mm-hmm. said. It's, it's so important to protect the health and safety of the players. But they, and again, as you said before, different perspectives, they had suggested that the idea of maybe looking at this as a level one offense and a level two offense. Um, it, the level one would be a, the suggestion was a 15-yard penalty. Level mm-hmm. two would be ejection. And the 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 factor that would delineate the two was something akin to intent, mm-hmm. which, as you know, is a, it's a hard. I spent a lot of years as a prosecutor and defense attorney, and we spent a lot of time talking about intent. intent. And you know, as a lawyer, how intent, difficult it how do you is do it? Exactly. to judge intent or right. make a determination uh, in real time right. on intent, and even an instant replay right. when you have a few minutes to digest and see multiple angles judging intent. Uh, And so you hit it uh, on the head, Jack. That's a very difficult discussion to have, but we're having uh, the discussion. Should it be a level one or a level two? Uh, If you're a repeat offender, uh, how are you treated differently, whether it's a level one or a level two? Is there an escalating penalty structure? Is there a progressive discipline, an escalating penalty structure for that? What should that be? Should it be multiple game suspension, multiple quarter suspensions. There's discussion, for instance, with even regard to the penalties assessed now so that if I have a targeting foul on the last play of the second quarter, I am out for the second half of that game. Uh, Whereby if I have a targeting foul on the first play of the third quarter, I'm out for the rest of that game and the first half of the next game. Uh, And so we're even uh, uh, talking about those types of things. How do we potentially tweak so that uh, you're not uh, over-penalizing for the same Mm -hmm. violation uh, because of the way you roll over? Uh, So the whole uh, area and topic of targeting – believe me, is getting a lot of uh, uh, discussion by the respective groups, uh, competition committee, rules committee, and ultimately to the football oversight committee because there's just so many things. It's not perfect, but we're working hard to at least get better. But we will not back off the purpose and intent. And I think that's the important thing. That's that the important Everybody, thing. all the constituencies recognize that it's essential to do this, and it becomes, you know, we always talk about unanticipated consequences. You're just not sure until it gets into play. That's correct. How these things. Are, are, are going to indeed play out. Indeed. So, all right. Let me ask about something else, and, and that's the, the question of overtimes. 
Again, when you and I played, you had ties. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Then the idea was, you know, let's see if we can figure out a structure that eliminates ties. You know, what, the, what was the one of the, the great was either Daryl Royal or somebody, one of the great coaches, might even Bear Bryant was quoted as saying, a tie is like kissing your sister. <laughs> you know, no, it's like, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, that's but, nice. And I love my sister, but, you know, I, I, nobody won the game. I hear you. Um, and, and we've seen some extraordinary circumstances, seven overtime uh, game last season, uh, multiple overtime games during the course of, of uh, the last few seasons. What are some of the concerns that the, the committee and, again, the various constituencies are expressing over the idea of so many overtimes being played out? Uh, player health and safety. Uh, when you have that seven-overtime game like they did, that Texas A&N game, uh, you know, that was a four-hour-plus game. Uh, the health and safety of, 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 of players is paramount. And so uh, the concern is is that uh, you are spent in the normal course of a four-quarter game. Uh, and now with the intensity and the adrenaline that goes into those overtime sessions, uh, we need to address whether or not uh, you need to make peaks, uh, uh, adjustments that uh, after the second overtime, uh, the current rule is once you get into the third overtime, you have to go for two. Uh, should there be an adjustment that says when you get into overtime, you automatically have to go from two for mm-hmm. two. Uh, where you have to essentially uh, limit overtimes to three periods. And if it and ends at the end, if it's tie, still it's a tie, so right. be it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so those discussions are, are being had uh, because player health and safety uh, is paramount, as I said. And I don't know if you've been in multiple overtime games, but once you get to two, three, occasionally four, and then occasionally now seven, I think we've had two of them in a couple of years, that's a real caution. Uh, and we're addressing that. I saw one of the suggestions would be after maybe two overtimes, you're still tired, still tied. Basically, each team gets a shot from the two-yard line. You got one play from the two-yard line. The other team gets one play from the two-yard line. Like a shootout in it, soccer. So, yeah. yeah. If you score and the other guy doesn't, you win the game. You could if go to that. neither score or both scored, you're, then you're going to walk away with a tie. Yeah, is, yeah. I mean, is that one of the possibilities? That has, absolutely. It has to be one of the possibilities yeah. when you're driven by health and safety because it's like, look, we're just going to keep slugging out to someone finally wins, yeah. uh, and it's five, six this year, a seven-overtime game. Not sure that's in the best interest of anybody. Yeah. One of the other rules that went into, uh, into effect just last year, the notion of being able to, to fair catch the kickoff. First of all, why such a concern uh, about that particular play, the kickoff? Yeah. Well, the stats show, uh, and the injury stats I'm talking about, show uh, unequivocally that uh, more injuries happen on kickoff plays than any other just because of the violence of the collisions because you uh, you got players running a whole bunch of yards, and when they finally meet up, uh, it's, a, it's a pretty significant hit. So that's by, by injuries data stats. Uh, the most dangerous play we have in the game. So the intent was to try to limit the number of kickoffs uh, that would result in those really uh, heavy-duty contact and fair catching uh, was one method of doing that. And it's been uh, very effective to be able at the college level to fair catch. 
And if you're anywhere inside the 25-yard line, you fair catch, you get it out to the 25-yard line, and there you go. So strategically, it was a, strategically it, it's been a great play it's when been you realize a, how few kickoff returns actually get past the 25 That's yard. correct. So it's been you want to incentivize uh, right. safety and so yep. uh, because they're good enough kicker, kickers who can pooch it. Uh, and so they were pooching it with the thought that uh, we'll pooch it to the 10-yard line uh, and then we'll get you there. Uh, and so you were not essentially mitigating the number of kickoffs, but by doing the fair catch and now you get it at the 25, you got a better chance. And the stats are proving that was a good move for So, so that's, that's something that everybody, again, has welcomed. And I, I, I think uh, in its first year it was very, very welcomed. And so... Uh, I think we'll continue that. That won't be changing. And so there was a question soon. about if, if it's a muffed, if, if you signal for the fair catch and, and you, you fumble it, but recover it yourself, um, that there was a question, so even if you, you ended up recovering it on the 10 or 12-yard line, should you, again, in order to incentivize, should you say, okay, your intention was to fair catch it, you recovered it. We'll take you to the 25. Might that be something that you could see? Uh, we talked about happening? that. I'm, I'm not sure there was appetite for that, for that. because then you're essentially uh, uh, promoting not being good enough to be back there in the first place <laughs> if you can't catch it. As long as I eventually jump on <laughs> yeah, it, I'm yeah, okay. Yeah, if you actually uh, muff <laughs> it and you jump on right. it, then uh, it's, you should have it where you jumped on it. Uh, uh, otherwise, you're kind of... A rewarding uh, lack of skills by giving them the extra yards to the 25-yard line. So we actually did discuss that 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 uh, scenario, and there didn't seem sense. to be an appetite yeah, to I, uh, go that far. I think that makes sense. Uh, any other areas that that you're talking about that you feel are, are obviously you, you you feel that any of them are significant. That's why you're talking about them. But are there, are there others there that I think they, they certainly the 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 people who are fans of college football would appreciate knowing about? Uh, yeah, you know, one of the things that we had a big discussion about, and it's it's going to uh, take some some time, uh, but whether it would be appropriate to let, for instance, TV uh, into the instant replay booth uh, in the new Alliance of American Football, as you know, they're right. experimenting with some of that. Uh, and so uh, it will be interesting over the next few years to see if, in fact, uh, the instant replay process uh, uh, gets to a point where you let uh, uh, the, the, the TV mm-hmm. cameras and audio actually in the room while that discussion has happened. You can imagine the pressure on instant replay officials uh. already. Uh. Will that microscope uh, freak them all out? Uh, but the, yeah, I've been in booths. I've been in booths, and yes. right next to me is the instant replay folks, and they are huddled and pouring, and they're realizing everybody's waiting on them to decide. Yeah. Now, just think in big games with big stakes, uh, with millions of people watching. If now you are like uh, uh, live, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, those are uh, interesting things <laughs> that uh, are being presented as future possibilities. Uh, and it's uh, it's uh, exciting, but a little a little frightening to think where we might end up going. But with technology uh, being what it is, and you know, fan affinity and uh, entertainment, and giving them all that they need to have to stay really engaged in your game, you have to start maybe looking at some of those things. So that will be interested uh, as we go forward. 
Hey, Ray, it's always a pleasure. Um, some yeah, really interesting pleasure. things that you're talking about, and, and we will uh, obviously continue to follow up with all of that. We appreciate spending some time with My us. My pleasure, man. That does it for this edition of the College Sports Insider, presented by the NCAA and Champion Magazine. Our thanks once again to Ray Anderson, uh, Vice President Athletic Director at Arizona State University. I always feel like I'm a little smarter after I talk to you about oh, some of Oh, I don't know about that, but I appreciate <laughs> the uh, exaggeration. <laughs> right, Ray, you'd be well, and thank you all for joining us. We'll look forward to talking with you again real soon.